have you have you ever listened to uh, Ninja Sex Party? That's uh, Danny from Game Grumps, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah you, uh, you know a couple of their songs. You know his stage name? No, Danny Sex Bang. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've listened to Danny. Don't you know about fourteen times tonight because it's just a great song. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, thanks for joining us tonight on the Drunken UX Podcast. We're going to be talking about what is in our toolboxes. What are Aaron and I using when we build websites that make stuff easier for us? This is episode number 58, and I'm your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other, other, other host, Aaron Hill. How you doing? Hi, Aaron. Are you surviving? You doing okay? <laughs> I Every time I see the words COVID-19, I keep thinking of, I keep reading it as COVID-19, but that would be the bird flu, right? Is that, I don't, I don't even remember. No, I, uh, it's a joke. Corvids are crows. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. uh, that, that's above my pay grade, son. Yeah. I just, I just call it COVID-69. Um, folks, if you are enjoying the Drunken UX podcast, please go by our uh, sponsors over at NewCloud. You can hit them up at NewCloud.com slash DrunkenUX for anything you need from map illustrations to interactive uh, map platforms. Uh, stop by, check them out, let them know that we sent you and, and that uh, you appreciate their support of the show. We support your uh, – y- y- we, we support your support. <laughs> support? How many times can I say that in one sentence? Yeah, you should check us out on the, on the Twitters and Insta Giggles. Uh, dot com slash drunken ux oh actually no twitter and facebook is slash drunken ux instagrams is slash drunken ux podcast there will be a test We're not on snapchat not on snapchat yeah. um folks though uh speaking of and I, I use this word support and and all of this uh, i want to just give a quick shout out to all our listeners and, and audience out there because um i was just going through analytics for the show since season three started and over the last two months since we launched season three uh listeners are up a full 17 percent so far amazing in two months and so i am thrilled um i think it's pretty amazing we've been doing this for three seasons now or well into our third season no i'll send you a birthday cake (laughs) season four Mm. season four birthday cakes season four birth season four you get birthday cake okay cake is a lie no what, do you, what are you drinking? I am in the the world of whiskey, but I am doing Gentleman Jack. Oh, how is that? It's Jack Daniels, but it's like their better Jack Daniels because to me, Jack Daniels tastes like garbage. Um, it's like <laughs> it's like corn that's gone bad, uh, and people I mean, squeeze the water of, out of it. That's basically what it is, right? But for some reason, while Jack Daniels is terrible to me, Gentleman Jack is delicious amazing (laughs) and great to sit back with and just sip on it's not like super compelling from a flavor standpoint Mm -hmm. i think it's selling quality really is the smoothness of it but Mm -hmm. it does let me appreciate the sweet like that corny sweetness that comes through which i think is ruined in the lower end jack daniels i almost never drink jack straight i always have it mixed with coke yeah uh coca-cola (laughs) <laughs> to be clear. Oh, <laughs> fair cal- clarification. Yeah. We got, here at the Drunken um, UX Podcast do not endorse the use of uh, cocaine or any other powdery <laughs> substances. 
<laughs> I've got um. So a long time ago, uh, one of our uh, listeners, Justin M, suggested Basil Hayden, and I I had a bottle back then, and it was great. And yeah. still um, have you one. Had, you had suggested the um, Balvenie Caribbean cask. Yeah. And I looked for it, and I couldn't find it. They had a had a marker on the shelf for it, but it was you, sold you out. found where it should be. Right, right. It was and like I said, it's to... good, so it wasn't there. Yeah, it's Every, that that was not virus related, right? <laughs> it's like easier to find Purell right now than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I I did find Basil Hayden's Caribbean Reserve Rye, which is like Basil Hayden Rye, but with a rum finish. It's it's done similar to the Balvenie. It's really good. I'm it's like super very smooth. Very curious. And, yeah. Um it, it it has the same kind of like smoothness that Basil Hayden has, but like the the finish on it is just like it it almost it makes me think of coconut. I mean it doesn't have coconut in it, but that's that's the first thought that popped into my head when I tasted it the first time. Yeah, you're you're getting that sort of island flavor, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite good, and it was like uh, I think it was like thirty dollars or something. It's really like cheap for being like you know something call. special. Yeah, yeah. All right, I thought it'd be fun, and I I sat down and I I tried to think about this because I'm like, have we done this episode? And as as best as I could find, I don't think we have. Even though it not feels ex- not explicitly, yeah it, yeah, it feels like we've maybe talked around a lot of this stuff several times. Well, we've we've talked about like. The hosts that we've used or like yeah. the... Yeah, we talked about web hosting, so that was a thing that came up. Like our yeah. pipeline. Yeah, so yeah. we wanted to talk about, though, like what we use on a daily basis that just makes our our work better. And you may agree with these, you may disagree with them, you may have your own preferences, and, and by all means, let us know if, if you have something that you think works really well or better than some of the things we mentioned. But I think we should preface this, let's take each like you know 15 to 30 seconds to say what it is what we work with on a daily basis like what technologies we're doing just as a reminder because yeah. i think that is going to provide context about why sure. we use the tools that we use so you, you go that's first fair. um i so most of my work is done in either obviously html css i mean those are givens javascript um php velocity apache velocity is a templating mm. language that we use heavily in our content management system and in terms of JavaScript, like I'm lightweight with React and Angular and some of that, like mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't necessarily sell those services to somebody, but I'm getting there. I think that mostly hits on like my, I'm, I'm definitely like senior front end developer type mm-hmm. skill set. I'm, um, I do predominantly backend stuff now. So my day job is just like Ruby on Rails stuff. In my recreational time, like most of the coding I do is usually just plain Ruby. Um, I have a couple of Rails apps that I use maintain just for fun, but most of the scripting and stuff I do is just Ruby. I I will every once in a while I'll dabble in some like HTML or SAS or I think I have some PHP somewhere that I'm maintaining. I don't think I've written a PHP tag in a couple of years though. <laughs> no, nothing against it. I just haven't had any reason to. I do like a little bit with like DevOps stuff, but um, mainly it's like you know the um, the database and like controller layers right. is mostly where I work. So the to start with, the hosting is the first thing on our list. Web hosting, 
if you want a deep dive into this, though, I would uh, suggest going and listening to episode 43. Um, Jeff Matson joined us on that episode, and we talked oh, all about yeah. site hosting. So this is why like this, some of the stuff will maybe sound or, or, or feel a little familiar. Um, but there was a whole episode on uh, site hosting, so that's a good place to go start. My go-to is DigitalOcean. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. At this point, in at this level of my expertise, I like running my own servers. Yeah, setting up your own what they call droplets, um, which mm-hmm. are just virtualized Linux servers, um, is very clean and easy. They have images for a lot of applications that are preset, so you could just say, "I need a WordPress server," and it'll spin up a little server with WordPress on it. Dig- DigitalOcean, I think the reason I like it is because it's the like, it seems to be the perfect middle ground between turnkey hosting and like wild aws right like you know the the full you know you're getting they just give you like server space and then you just you know here you go right <laughs> here's the keys <laughs> and their their knowledge base is incredibly good too right there's articles for just like everything I think and, we, we probably recommended that in four different shows now and it's yeah. going to get recommended again in this one so and you know it, it's like it's cheap. Like if you just need like super super bare bones hosting, you just you know putting up a small site or something. It's like five dollars a month or something. Yep. And then like for ten a month, it's like a you get a modest, like low traffic, uh, thing that can you could put whatever you want. And most it. of the the shared hosts that you're going to go to are f- at least four bucks a month already, and you have yeah. no control over anything. So. That's, it does it it does have a higher technical hurdle certainly like, yes yeah like you have to you have to know how to do things like ssh and you've got to know like really basic like linux terminal commands um like you could they have they have some turnkey solutions like if you just want to have like a wordpress droplet or whatever like they'll do that for you um but the real power from it is is being able to ssh in and and configure stuff manually. And they've expanded their portfolio to the point now they have managed databases, they've got block oh, wow. storage. We've talked about this, and we want to go way back on this. It's episode 23. We talk about uh, block and object storage and content delivery mm. networks. DigitalOcean has spaces, and I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole or nothing, but just yeah. from the hosting standpoint, they solve all right. of these problems, um, and they do it, in my opinion, more simply than AWS does because it is kind of... Oh, I I, it, <laughs> I don't want to say it's like geared towards the lower end. I think it's just geared towards people who just want to get stuff done quicker. AWS is. Uh, we'll we'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> the The other one is because if you're not in that boat, if you're not somebody who wants to run a server and and handle all that and take the time because it is a lot. I I'm evenly split between like HostGator and Bluehost. Quite frankly. I'd throw a DreamHost in there too. DreamHost. I, I can't. I canceled my account with them after a very long time, like twenty years. I, I just wasn't using it anymore because mainly because they didn't have good Rails support. But they were they were a great company. I I, I liked working with them a lot. Yeah. These you know these are affordable. They generally start at like three dollars a month at uh, if you get a promo mm-hmm. rate or something and pay a year up front. Um, they'll go up to four or five bucks a month. Then so you're kind of at DigitalOcean pricing. They usually throw in a domain name in too. I yeah, think. yeah, that's something yeah. worth noting. They'll usually throw your domain registration in with it uh, if you keep it through them. 
I think DreamHost is actually a registrar, so like they can register your domain for you. Yeah. And also host it. So that was a convenient thing. I don't know if the other ones do it. Part of what you're paying for there is it's it's not a managed host by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. but they certainly are taking care of some of the server management basically they do your they do your updates and everything that you would otherwise have to do if you were on DigitalOcean. um there are trade-offs because i go back listen episode 43 we talk about all those differences and trade-offs a lot of the time worst case scenario if you want a shared host just google them and look at ratings guys um you know these three will generally be at the top of those ratings um and will have the fewest problems and you can't go wrong. Uh, AWS, to their credit, they're trying to kind of get into this game with LightSail. I think it's worth mentioning. I've not <laughs> used it yet. Um, I am working with somebody who's using it, though, at the moment for a WordPress site. Incredibly cheap. I think it's like 4 bucks a month. Hmm. Uh, and it's one of those, like, click a button, you got WordPress running, and nothing else huh. to worry about. So that's something maybe to watch as it matures, and it, it, that may become a much higher recommendation very quickly, I think, in this in hmm. this space. At least if you want something known, like WordPress, Drupal, they've got images for quite a few different systems. Now, I threw GitHub on this list, and I know that's weird, but GitHub is sort of hosting. Yeah, I can see that. It's it code is. hosting. It's a place to yeah. host code repos. Yeah. And... I I think I wanted to mention it specifically because I don't use Bitbucket anymore. I have abandoned Bitbucket. Mm. I liked Bitbucket because they gave you unlimited private repos if you had a .edu email address, which I used to have. Mm. But now GitHub has basically given you that. Um, There are some limitations, but I've never, at least with my personal account, ran into those limitations. I've used um, GitLab before. Hosted or self-hosted. Oh, uh, the the GitLab.com. Yeah, okay. For those who don't know, you can actually go get GitLab's source code and run it on your own server. Right. And set up your own, which is cool, very cool. It's open yeah, source, I think. That is handy. Um, I used GitLab before. I, I, I think I stopped using them because I didn't need private repos. And now it's kind of moot because you can get private repos anyways without having a pro account. Yeah. Um, but GitHub Pages, I think, is something worth drawing attention to now because with mm-hmm. the increase in things like static site generators like Gatsby and, and some of those. Is that GitHub.io? Uh, yes. Okay. But the thing is, you can alias a domain name to it. Oh. So you can okay. set up a C name with a domain and have your site hosted at GitHub. Okay, that's and cool. So, like, if you go, a good example of this uh, for folks who are looking for another uh, web development podcast to listen to, and I have no doubt you've heard of it, Syntax. Um, last time I checked, Syntax's uh, website is ran through Markdown that's hosted oh. in GitHub, and then they use a static site generator to pump out the actual website on GitHub pages. Right. I, I may be wrong about a couple of those details. I don't know for a fact they're hosting it on GitHub pages, but I think they are. And I know their show notes all run through GitHub. So when you look at like the the show notes for one of their episodes, there's an edit button on them, and like any you mm-hmm. can go in there and if you saw a link that was wrong or a, a typo, you can actually issue a pull request to their show notes and fix stuff for them, which is I think super cool. Yeah. Outside of that, I don't know what you use. Uh, um, I I would say as a 
one of the easy ways to spin up like a Rails app or something or throw it up online is with Heroku. Heroku is like free plan. They give you like I think one Dino or yeah. something. I have used Heroku enough. exactly once. So yeah, it's I mean it's nice. Like the Heroku tool belt is really cool, and like deploying to Heroku is like stupid easy. But it like for production, it gets pricey real quick. And the only the only advantage it has is that the Heroku deployment pipeline, you can connect it to GitHub and you can set up like continuous deployment and like you know deployment triggers and everything and it's really nice and it it takes like if you don't want to have to pay like a devops person it's a cost effective solution or maybe for testing like an app that you're building oh yeah like the the free plan is perfect for that like you know single u- a single user it's going to be slow but it'll work yeah and and that's fine uh, but I mean, you can also use it for as your production environment, and they can do you know they have a whole like review pipeline. The more money you throw at it, the more options they give you. It's great if you don't want to have to fuss with AWS and all that. Right. Um, but speaking of AWS, uh, their interface is awful. Like I, I feel like they're just. It, remember that scotch you had where you're like, it's technically alcohol. Yeah. Like AWS is like, well, we technically have a user interface. Um, it just it feels like every single page is like a fuck you to the user. It's just a lot. <laughs> it's it's Facebook, but for you know, <laughs> yeah, for, for cloud services, it's just it's everything, and that can be very daunting. They have so many options, and they they they're not they don't do anything with any consideration at all to making the experience feel smooth. It's just like. Like, yes, everything is up there. If you know how, if you know the arcane series of tricks you have to do to get it, you'll have no problem. But it does make it powerful. Yeah. Makes it incredibly powerful. The the ability to scale stuff, um, you know, the way everything interworks with each other is is very nice. We host our entire web infrastructure in it. It's, It's cheap. And if you haven't looked at AWS Lambda stuff, check it out. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It's like they have, all these like supercomputer things available for image recognition yeah. and like language and lexical analysis and everything else. And you can just like connect to it. And if you're a low volume user, it doesn't cost very much. Yeah. They've got a free tier on, on most of their stuff. They now have mm-hmm. a whole, and you kind of uh, mentioned that they're like their whole machine learning platform is mm-hmm. now available, mm-hmm. which includes stuff like the image recognition and image training and all that. Um, I wouldn't yeah. even know how to begin. That's there's a team at work that is committed to ML, and the stuff they're doing is crazy cool and so outside of my yeah. league. Here's my question: Yeah, if you're wanting to get into something a little bit more powerful, we've we've mentioned the two big players, DigitalOcean and AWS. How would you mm-hmm. recommend somebody decide between them? I would say start with DigitalOcean until. Until you know it's, you don't need it? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you save in AWS per month, you're going to pay much more than that in headaches. And, like, DigitalOcean takes a lot of those headaches out. The shit just works. It's basic. AWS is for, like, if you're doing, like, a higher volume site or if you need some, like, high-end DevOps features or... I mean, I guess something can be said about just doing it so that you can learn to manage AWS better because that is a lucrative 
paths to go down. Yeah, professionally. And from a, if you're just looking at hosting, I would say DigitalOcean mm-hmm. is pretty much the winner. Yeah. basically, is kind yeah. of the way I would go. AWS is going to be good if you need to do a lot more than host. Basically, right? I think is maybe the way to look at it. The headaches from using the UI and knowing how to connect everything. If you're not already familiar with AWS, then I just go with DigitalOcean. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about uh, code editors, uh, because yeah. if you are doing web development, um, sorry, designers, and I I guess one thing that is going to be lacking from this episode, I, I listed nothing design tool-wise, because I'm not a designer, and Aaron's not a designer, so yeah. uh, we apologize uh, in advance for that <laughs> omission. Um, <laughs> my, my day is currently split between two, and I'm slowly getting off of one. I have for the last few years mainly used Atom, which is GitHub's uh, text editor. Yeah. Simple, out of the box. It's a very basic uh, text editor. Um, mm-hmm. Clean, tons of plugins for it for all kinds of stuff. Um, and really has worked very well for me for a long time. And I, I probably won't outright get rid of it at any point, I have a feeling. I, Adam had a... Adam had a plugin. Um... They have we're doing pair yeah, pairing paired coding yeah 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 teletype yeah uh, I knew where teletype I, yes, we were talking before the show about some of this and yeah. as soon as you started saying that I'm like oh you know we should have brought up teletype so good good yeah. segue Te- teletype is really cool it's super cool if you've never used it before it's it's basically like you have the editor open like one person hosts they create a portal and then one or more other people like connect to the portal in their atom editor. And so you can all edit the same file, but it's all like hosted by the person who's running the portal. So that person is the person who's like saving, actually has the file on the device. It's pretty great though. Like it feels like if you've ever done collaborative editing on Google Docs, it feels like that. It's not perfect, but it it's the best one that I've seen. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It it's been it's worked fine every time we've used it for anything at work. Yeah. But my problem with Adam has been increasingly, especially with plugins, performance mm-hmm. has started to become kind of an issue with it. It's 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 built on Electron, right? Yeah. Which I, I so so is Slack, and Adam is also Electron, and those are just resource hogs. Yeah. I'm slowly switching to VS Code. Increasingly, Adam is probably going to hang around until my muscle memory for it goes away. Um, VS Code <laughs> is certainly more. Uh, the way I describe it is, you know, it's a text editor, it's a code editor, but it also blends in a little bit of IDE kind of functionality. It is not an IDE, mm-hmm. and don't let anybody tell you it is, because it is not. But mm-hmm. it does, like, it has really good code cross-referencing features that you see in a lot of IDEs. So if you're working mm-hmm. on a function, as you type the name, it'll give you a quick link or a pop-up or something that will describe what should go with that function, and if it knows oh. where the rest of your code is. Was uh, it like IntelliSense or something? That was in that was in Visual Studio. They used to do that. Yeah, that I find really useful. And like I say, Adam can do that with plugins. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, VS Code can just do it though, which is nice. So it's the the footprint is smaller. It comes with some stuff baked into it, like GitHub, the GitHub integration, which again you can get in Adam through plugins. Mm-hmm. Already is there in VS Code and works real nice and clean, just out of the box. I like that. You can set up workspaces for different environments. So slowly, I'm kind of, I think, going to switch over to VS Code. And eventually, I think once it's all my new work is going into VS Code, all my old work Mm -hmm. is still in Atom. And once I finally take the time to open everything up in workspaces in VS Code, I will finally 
be a convert. Funny story about VS Code. Uh, there is a RuboCop plugin for it. RuboCop is a linter for Ruby. Yeah. And tell folks what a linter auto- is. Oh, a linter is um, uh, it checks like syntax and style, and and then makes suggestions about it. It's it's like imagine someone sitting over your shoulder and being like, "Oh, you should use another space there, or you should make these two things line up together, or you should use this method instead." It's I I I alternate between wanting to punch it and wanting to be like, "Oh, thanks, dude." <laughs> <laughs> usually punching it though but um it has an autocorrect mode and so if it if it sees things that it thinks are like trivial changes it will just make them if you pass it the dash a flag well visual studio code has a rubicop plugin and one of my coworkers had that enabled and it ended up actually introducing a bug into production because it changed the method in a way that ended up having side effects and caused some problems. <laughs> so I, I, it's nothing against visual studio code there, but um, it's just a funny, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> now thinking about pair programming and shared programming, uh, do you use CodePen at all or anything like um, it? fiddle JS? Uh, JS bin. Uh, I occasionally see like demos in those. I think, um, yes, CodePen I used when I interviewed at my current job. We did some, there was a technical interview and we did pairing for that. So I've gotten to where yeah, I Code, really CodePen's cool. like it. Um, yeah. Uh, especially like just when I'm trying to share stuff or get something across, certainly embedding it. You can embed CodePens mm-hmm. in websites. So if you yeah, write blogs cool. about coding or anything and you want to share examples, it's a good way to share an example. Mm-hmm. I used it just uh, this last week. I was uh, talking with uh, my the rest of my team about a CSS implementation for a feature we were looking at. And I said, mm-hmm. here's how I think it can be done. And so I just, rather than trying to like mock it up in our existing code base and committing stuff to GitHub and doing all that, I just opened CodePen real fast wrote up mm-hmm. three lines of HTML for the element and then typed up some CSS and was able to just give them a link and be like, here, look, here's the thing working the way nice. that I was describing so that they could, because sometimes as you may realize talking to people like this on a show may not always get a point across perfectly when you're talking about code and things like that. So they right. need, to, you need to see what somebody's talking about. I love code pin for that. Um, if you're familiar with Chris Coyer, this is uh Mm-hmm. A baby of his, he runs CSS Tricks, which will come up here in a little bit. But great tool. Um, you can use it for free, set up an account, and save your stuff. Uh, I'm sure there's probably a premium mm-hmm. version of it for something. But Yeah. Um, I personally, the the editors that I use, I've been using these for what, 10 years now. I've used Adam. I used Adam briefly just for the teletype feature because it was really good. Um, I use Sublime and I use VI. And it it depends on what I'm doing and what I need to do. Um, I used Sublime so I, for a good while before Adam. Yeah, I like Sublime. Really, all I need is I need an editor that's dark mode that does syntax highlighting. Yeah, and like, and that's enough. <laughs> that's like I I don't I don't need fancy features. I discovered last year that um Adam uh, Sublime has a uh, a go-to definition 
uh, thing in the context menu, which is super cool. So like if you have a method and the method is defined somewhere in the project, you can like right click on the method invocation and then it'll jump you to where it's defined. That's cool. Um, I do actually use that a bit. That's the only reason that I uh, went from Sublime to Atom is for the opposite reason, which is that Sublime was almost too basic for me. And so yeah. when Atom became available and allowed us to bring in linters and things like that and, and some of these mm -hmm. plugins, it was like, man, this is like better Sublime. <laughs> so, like, so like tomorrow morning when I sit down for work, what I'll do is I'll I'll open up a terminal window. I'll usually open up a couple tabs. We we do a lot of microservices at my job, so I'll, I'll usually have like three or four tabs open. I change the title of the tabs to be whatever service it is, spin up the service, and then I'll have Sublime open and usually a browser also. And like that's that's my like stack that I work with for apps. I will use VI if um Yeah, tell me about that. I'm I'm curious about VI feels like an interesting <laughs> way to spend your life coding. So <laughs> I I am not a VI power user. My my uh my team lead is like really skilled in VI and he knows a lot of like cool VI tricks. Actually a couple of people on my team know some cool VI tricks that I've forgotten about like making multiple panels and stuff. I don't do that. V VI for me is if I'm SSHing into a DigitalOcean droplet. We mentioned that earlier. Uh and I have to edit like a config file or if I have to just make an inline edit somewhere on like a page or whatever. It's just, I, I've used it for so long that it's just easier than using Pico or Nano or any of those. But like for my, my main editing though, I prefer sublime because it does syntax highlighting. I can use my mouse. I can do multi-fine editing and it shows me like, I don't know. It does, it just, it does just enough markup on the text to where I can read it easily and have multiple files going just terminals and basic editors that's all i need notepad and ftp that's all i need and i can get you yeah <laughs> that's i mean that's what you and i started on that's oh, what yeah. i'm used to yeah it's funny because it's true I, yeah so i want to talk just quickly about like and i'm going to group some of these so this is going to span sure. some stuff so libraries apps and third-party tools these are just things you know whether they're packages or actual applications or whatever I've got four that I feel like I'm going back to a lot lately that don't fall into the category of code editor or, or hosting or anything like that. The first one's OpenWC. Okay. OpenWC is an NPM package you can install. It's a scaffolding for uh, web components. It allows you to initialize like a basic outlined web component with lit element and some of this stuff. Just to make it quick and easy, it includes like a, a testing framework and a linter and all of this stuff for it um, and a gulp pipeline. So it's real quick and easy to start making a web component. And we're doing okay. a lot more of that at work. And as a result, I found myself coming back to this quite frequently. The second is WP gulp. I'm going to go through these kind of fast because there's not sure. a lot to say about them other than that they exist and I'm using them. But we'll link them in the show notes. Um, is that like the Gulp JS compiler, but for WordPress? Kind of, yeah. So okay. it's it's again, it's a uh, a script just uh, install. I I think it installs right through npm, um, and maybe doesn't. I'd have to go look for it to be sure. Um, otherwise, you just clone it. Maybe you just clone the repo is what you do. Hmm. But what it does is, yeah, it's got your Gulp file all set up and everything. It's set up 
to streamline developing themes and plugins in WordPress. Oh, okay. So that it'll automatically compile JavaScript and CSS that's associated with those. And Nice. Yeah, it, it's nice, it's clean, it's super easy, um, and it gives you a way so that like, if you do a lot of theme development or plugin development, you're not constantly rewriting gulp files and recreating stuff. This just comes and it's ready to go, and... I found it to be relatively agnostic on, you know, it's it's not very uh, opinionated, I think is the the phrase. You know, you can adapt it to whatever your workflow is or where your files are kept or anything like that. Along with WordPress is WPE DevKit. We've brought that up on the show before. Um, Chris Wegman was on with us to talk about that. Mm-hmm. It's just a quick uh, Docker environment that lets you spin up WordPress environments and have them run in a container so you can develop against them right on yeah and to a lesser extent just docker in general one thing we're doing with docker that's kind of cool right now at work is we've taken like all of our dev tools Mm -hmm. um so all our stuff like gulp and all that we've made a docker compose file with all of it so that any dev can go grab that file and run docker compose dash dash service ports blah 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 and Mm -hmm. have all of our dev tools at the ready for them browserfy gulp Uh, some people are on mac you know we've got different versions of some of these things and so it was becoming problematic sometimes with like users needing to know which version of node should i be using which version of npm should i have um all this kind of stuff and so having it all dockerized now means you don't have to care (laughs) you just go grab it start it and Run Gulp, and it's already set up for you correctly. Nice. Um, I, I, I added. Um, I mean, in Rails, like everything is built around Ruby gems. Like we just Rails is a gem itself. I, I can't think of any that I would specifically call out, other than to say that like the ones that I use the most often would probably be like RSpec and Guard for automated testing, and then Capistrano for deployment. Um, I like Annotate because it helps keep your it keeps a schema reference in all of your um, class files and then uh, bind i like pry you can throw like uh somewhere in your script file if you want to have like drop to a console while it's being executed and then poke around for debugging it's like having a breakpoint. like you can just you can use the pry uh and binding of color to do that um there's just a lot like the the ruby gems thing is deep well to go down it, yeah, it really is. Like I, I, yeah, it's a big yak to shave. And the other thing that I listed was PG Admin. I do a lot of stuff yeah. with Postgres. PG Admin's like it's not. I mean, it's not a. Uh, it's good enough. Like if you just want to do like a, a GUI to like look at the tables because you don't want to have to mess with like remembering the SQL commands and the console. I don't. Know, I do stuff in the console too, but uh, Postgres commands are kind of arcane yeah. so i just i use pg i don't think that's any worse than using like either like mysql workbench or even yeah. installing like php my admin locally to connect the stuff yeah P, um uh mysql workbench is better it's a better tool like the query browser is a better tool than pg admin um the other one i listed was travis ci um this is sort of like when you had github for hosting yeah um Travis CI is a third-party web service that you can connect to your GitHub repo and it will handle doing 
if you have like a testing framework or anything else, it'll handle like running your tests, running any linters you have or whatever else. It'll just run stuff for you and you can even have it hooked up to do automatic deployment. Yeah. Um, and they have uh, free platforms for it too. And it's super cool, right? Because you mentioned like testing. If you do a pull request, mm-hmm. you can have a, a GitHub action that runs Travis yeah. CI, runs your tests, and it'll it will report mm-hmm. in the pull request. It will yes. add a comment that says you cleared all your tests or you failed these tests or whatever. And you can even block merging if it hasn't passed. It makes sure that the test suite passes. It makes sure that the winters pass. Um, it makes sure that you've like written up your pull request description correctly. And then it checks to make sure there's an approval. Like it does all those things. Um, and we use uh Travis for our continuous integration. Yeah. Hence um, CI. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what the CI in Travis CI means. Continuous integration. <laughs> um, the next, so let's use that as a segue testing, um, yeah. testing frameworks, so to speak. And, I say that because my first thing on this list is something that is not strictly a testing framework or tool at all. It's private internet access. Um, mm. I don't mean that abstractly, like you should have private internet access. I mean, like, <laughs> the, the company. It's the VPN, Yeah, right? the VPN, private internet yeah. access. The reason I, I list them under this as a testing tool is it, for me, because I develop sites for international audiences mm-hmm. that or not just audiences, but offices. So, you know, we've got offices in France or in Japan mm. or in the UK, um, Australia. I sometimes need to simulate being one of those users because we are doing something that is like a geo-targeted feature. Right. Things like GDPR uh, compliance, for instance, come into this. So detecting a user if they are European and presenting them with a certain behavior for privacy standards. For me, a VPN becomes an incredibly valuable testing tool. Yeah. And PIA, Private Internet Access, is probably one of the better trusted. I use, I use NordVPN myself. Nord, yeah, um, Nord's pretty I heard, high, too. I, I've heard good things about PIA, too. Yeah. Um, so I just I say that only because of that. Like it's, it's kind of a weird thing to say for testing. But um, mm-hmm. from an actual framework standpoint, I've pretty much gone all in on Cypress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a JavaScript based, uh, integration test framework. Um, it uses mm-hmm. like Mocha, um, and several other assertion libraries in it. So okay. you can pick what assertion library you want to use or assertion syntax. It probably supports it. And right now, like I'm, I'm not doing crazy wild tests with it. Like you can, I've seen, it comes with when you uh, initialize it, you can actually have it initialize all the example files. And huh. some of the examples are gnarly. <laughs> Like, yeah, it, it really makes you realize how powerful that tool is. <laughs> in my case, I'm nowhere near any of that yet, but I've definitely quickly come to love like it pops up a beautiful GUI that anybody can relate to for the most part from a development standpoint, see what's passing or failing. Um, I'm pretty sure there are GitHub actions that can tie into it and like Travis CI and hmm. everything. So those have been really valuable, I think, to me. Uh, from from cool. a testing standpoint, your your tools are more front end testing. I yeah, most of the back end testing I do is like um like I mentioned RSpec earlier. I've been learning a little bit more about mini test. I still I still like RSpec better. They're just both different um Ruby testing frameworks. Is, is it fair for me to call like RSpec a more of a unit test or is um, that... RSpec um unit tests for folks who don't know unit tests uh test 
like the embodiment, the containment of like a piece of functionality, like given a function yeah. with this, I should get, you know, one back. Whereas integration tests generally confirm outcomes. So like using a form and making sure that the form output is right without caring about how the form does what it does. So I would say um, our spec, what, what our spec gives you is a, we use uh, DSL, the domain specific language. Uh, basically it gives you like additional vocabulary that you can use in Ruby to write tests. And the, the advantage of our spec is that it's easy to read it. And so it doesn't look very codey. Yeah. It doesn't look like, like you can read it out loud right. and it, would make sense to someone who maybe didn't do code. Cypress very much works that way. Like yeah. the, the assertions are designed, like it describes whatever. And it's like, yeah, yes, it yeah. should equal one. And yeah, yeah. that sounds a lot like, that sounds like our spec. Um, our spec on its own would be primarily for unit tests, but generally you also include Capybara or Selenium or, yeah, Selenium. Um, I'm familiar with. It used to be Poltergeist. Oh, it's a Chrome driver is the the, the browser driver now, which works with Selenium. Uh, those are for like browser based integration tests. Um, and then Capybara gives you um, kind of like working with the DOM through automated uses. Like you say, like okay, like load this page up at this address, and then it should like have these traits and right. everything else. And you click on this button, do this and this. But these are like really Ruby specific things. I, I, I included um, Expo as a testing tool. You, there's an app for your phone, an Expo app, it's free. And then you set it up on your app on your computer. And then like you run Expo on the computer and then it shows a QR code in the terminal. Like it generates a QR code in the terminal and then you point the Expo app on your phone at the QR code, and then somehow it loads the app onto your phone and like connects with your computer. It's like fucking magic. <laughs> I <laughs> like I the first time I did it, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> uh it's it's pretty cool. Um if you do any like mobile development or anything, check out Expo. It's pretty awesome. I'm not sure what else I would use for testing. I use DevTools a lot in the browser, but that's kind of like, I think everybody uses DevTools. You know, I didn't write this in the show notes, but um, you, you bring up DevTools makes me think of things like Lighthouse and some of those. But I think that actually saying something like DevTools is fair because checking out like page performance using the performance profiler and stuff yeah. for things you're building uh, just in the browser is an incredibly important step to making sure stuff's working right. Optimizely is neat. Is that a, a previous job that lets it's like a JavaScript thing. And then it lets someone do like AB testing and then get stats on how each version of the AB test worked on the UI. Yes. Yeah, so um, that sounds like mine, which is Google optimize. Um, yes, it's similar. I'm a big fan of Google optimize for, and this is good for the, the UX side of drunken UX, but they let you set up AB tests with a number of criteria. Mm -hmm. You can, go in and change markup or conditions or anything really nice for giving you like a, a curve in terms of, you know, how confident they are. If one thing is performing better than another, the reporting system, and it's real nice, very easy to use for the most part. 
plugs right into Google Tag Manager, uh, or you can just install it manually if you want. You do need to have Google Analytics running because it uses like goals as its way of knowing it, what, what is better than what. So you need to know how to set up a goal in Google Analytics and be familiar with that. But outside of that, Optimize has been my go-to A-B tester, I think, at this point. Nice. I, I would be hard-pressed to use something else, I think, at, at this stage. Uh, documentation. This one's easy. Yeah. Astrum I used for a while. What is that? So Astrum's a uh, Vue.js-based uh, pattern library generator. So like Pattern Lab or, oh, okay. or any of these two. Uh, but it was pretty simple to use. Um, I've started moving away from it. And I'll explain why in a moment. The nice thing about it is it's simple to use. It runs like on GitHub pages, for instance, very easily. So if you had a project and you wanted to have the style guide be a part of it and be available on GitHub pages... You could just install Astrum in it and plug your stuff in and be ready to go. Hmm. The only reason I am hesitant a little bit to recommend it is because it does appear to be an abandoned project. I think it's not been touched in like three years, but it does still work. Hmm. So if you want something very simple and quick, I think it's still worth looking at. My go-to, though, at this point for pattern libraries is Fractal. Man. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, it's so nice. It's a... just go in and uh, you can install it from npm um it uses by default it uses handlebar um templating to generate like code samples and markdown for the notes and documentation on everything you can import whatever style sheets or javascript into it you need hmm. um but man if if you need to document patterns and code and design standards or branding standards anything like that um Fractal is very cool. I think it's uh, fractal.build. I'll have I'll there'll be a link in the show notes uh, certainly, but I've gone all in on it and and our new design system uh that I'm working on at work is going to utilize it entirely. Uh <laughs> it's the, should be of no surprise based on my other answers tonight, but I just do my documentation and markdown typically. Yeah. <laughs> I I it's uh GitHub friendly. The nice, the thing I like about Markdown is whether or not you have a Markdown interpreter, the the Markdown syntax like it reads nicely. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you used to do like ASCII stuff back in the day. I mean, there's just like you know, there's ways of formatting a document using just the characters in your keyboard that make it readable. Like you know, you use dashes or stars to indicate bullets in a bulleted list. You use like hashes in front of something to kind of indent it as a as a heading. It's the gateway to a lot of other documentation too. Yeah, it's widely used. Like a lot of a lot of documentation frameworks. Like we use one at work. I I don't remember the name of it, but all the source files for it are just Markdown files. I'd mentioned the syntax earlier, the syntax podcast, and that's their show notes. They're Markdown files. When you go edit them, they're huh. just Markdown files. Um. And cool. like I said with Fractal, if your your template when you build out like a button and you're gonna show how a button works and how it should look, that's all done with the handlebar markup. But when you write your notes about it, the notes file is a readme.md file. It's it's markdown. Nice. Um and so that's why I said like markdown is kind of your gateway into other more powerful things down the road quite frequently. So and your first run in with it is going to be in GitHub, probably. If you've never gotten into that stuff, 
you're going to have to if you do any GitHub work. So mm-hmm. um, I want to round out everything with just some recommendations on resources, things that we use a lot in our day-to-day to learn about stuff. One of my big ones is Smashing Magazine. Mm-hmm. They have a huge... They've got our... Yeah, a huge breadth of articles, well-researched, well-written, well-edited, tons of information in them usually. Yeah, it does mean sometimes you're going to sit down for 15 or 20 minutes to read. Um, It's not a three-minute article, but their stuff has been, over the years, consistent. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about something new coming from Smashing Magazine, which is super-duper cool. Um, But they, they really have, over the years, consistently, I think, proven themselves. And along with them... The other big one is a list apart. Is that um, Zeldman? Right? Yeah, uh, Zeldman set up a list okay. apart year. I mean, how many years ago now? Uh, but same kind of thing, right? Long yeah. articles generally, but great articles from industry leading yeah. folks on all kinds of topics. Not everyone will be interesting to you, but that's okay. Um, but great research material and stuff to to read at those two sites. Chris Coyer's CSS tricks, right? Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah. Man, okay. how many times a day do you go reference that site at this point? <laughs> I Not much, because I don't uh, do much of CSS do much anymore. anymore. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. But, it's, but, I, but when I did, when I did, though, a still, lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's still a good site to go reference once in a while. Yeah. Or, man, they've got, uh, uh, we haven't talked much about it, but CSS Grid, if you're getting into grid layout at all, mm-hmm. um there's a great article at CSS tricks that is like everything you need to know about grid. And it really is like, it is everything. So it's, there's a ton there, but it's super cool. Mm-hmm. And anything front end wise, whether it's design development, UX libraries, tools, there is an aggregator um, called webdesignernews.com that I frequent that I find really helpful for sort of, helping me get to the cream a little bit, so to speak, Mm -hmm. um, so that I don't wade through lots and lots of bad articles every day. (laughs) And it's exposed me to a lot of stuff like at UX Booth and UX Collective and and sites like that. Like, it keeps a lot of those things up in front of me. Specky Boy has been mentioned on this show a number of times. um, And you'll see their stuff featured on on that site, like webdesignernews.com. You know, they're an aggregator. That's all they are, but it's, it's nice. DigitalOcean has great if you use DigitalOcean. Actually, you know, I reference DigitalOcean's knowledge base even on non-DigitalOcean. Oh, totally, instances. yeah. There, I there was like one time I had to set up IP tables locally, or I had to fix my IP table stuff locally. I run Linux on my desktop, and I I knew there was a knowledge base article about that. So that's what yeah, I, I mean. How many to. times oh, have and, we? Fail to ban also. Giving them props for the amount of effort. Like, like they really, yeah. they they took that belief of, you know, good SEO is good marketing kind of thing. Like, yeah. they really took that to heart and they, they have a content strategy. It makes sense. And they said, we're going to move into that space and own it. And boy, did they. Um, yeah. the, their documentation can't be beat, in my opinion. Um, not even close. Yeah. We've talked many, many times, you know, we've dropped the names uh, Steve Krug and Donald Norman. Any mm. book, just any any book that they've written. Design of Everyday Things, Rocket Surgery yeah. Made Easy, I don't care. Go grab anything. We'll put links to some of their stuff in, in the show notes, but you don't need us to do that. They're easy to find. They're everywhere. Um, Donald Norman is one of the founding members at, shockingly, the Nielsen Norman Group. 
what ng.com <laughs> we've referenced them plenty of times um you know these guys are absolute like stalwarts in the field anything that has to do with developing user centric and user facing things and and doing it right you know these guys mm-hmm. have opinions on and you may not agree with them every time and i wouldn't expect you to but yeah. it's also hard as hell to argue with them on a lot of stuff because most everything they put out is backed by a shit ton of research yeah i i um back in episode 38 uh staying out of technical debt we talked about um martin fowler's refactoring book he literally wrote the book on refactoring i that that is a book i actually do refer to in text now and then just to stay stay fresh on i i have had i think in the past three months it's been probably a handful of times when i've had to do like a formal refactor like iterative you know incremental changes and identifying a code smell and then applying a remedy to it and everything it's worth picking up it's you know the 20 30 bucks or whatever get it and read it and and try to apply it to your work. And uh, this one's stupid, but I'm going to say it as a resource. <laughs> but, like, Google and Stack Overflow. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. this is an issue of kind of media liter- literacy, right? Like, knowing how to find <laughs> the answers, because there's there's a joke, uh, and it'll be up on our Instagram, actually, by the time you've heard this episode. But it's like, you know, they deleted Stack Overflow, so congratulations, you no longer know how to be a programmer. <laughs> I mean, we all re- reference these things so frequently and not just like knowing that they exist and that you can get answers there, but knowing how to get the right answers out of them. Yeah. Learning that skill can be incredibly valuable um, because there is just such a wealth of knowledge in whatever it is you need to know. But knowing how to go find it is a, certainly a skill unto itself. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something every developer does. Every developer does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any developer that tells you otherwise is lying. Mm-hmm. There's, just, there's too much to know. I, I don't think it's possible to know everything you need to know and have any room left in your brain. I, I don't know. I'm Maybe I'm wrong there, but... It's a simple matter of efficiency in some cases. Yeah, I, I know for a fact I could write chunk of code X that would take me an hour. Or... Yeah. I find the people who have already written it in five minutes and yeah. use their code as the basis for what I need. Like, or you, that's yeah. just efficiency at work at that point is, you know, don't reinvent the wheel kind of stuff. And so, yeah, don't, I wouldn't trust a developer that says they don't use stack overflow or get or Google. <laughs> or you get like some weird error showing up in your log file or something. And you're like, Oh, that's strange. And then you just type it into Google and then search. And it's like, Oh yeah, it's because of yeah. this. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, nobody writes good error codes. We've, we've discussed that, too. But the the final one on my list is Twitter. Yeah. One of my things is I used to have a Feedly set up and tons of RSS feeds from all of these sites, and I try to mm-hmm. read all the time. I, I still read all the time. The way I do it is different. By and large, I've curated my people I follow on Twitter such that when I see somebody I follow recommend an article... I kind of just trust their instinct and I'll use that to decide what to go read quite frequently. Um, It helps expose me to different stuff. It helps me read people that I wouldn't otherwise have ever seen. And Mm -hmm. it gets me some diversity in, in that material. 
And so I've found Twitter to be really useful in that area. And even if you don't use Twitter a lot, get your account and just follow like some of the big names and see the stuff they share um, and the things they put out there and who they're amplifying. At the very least, it's just a good way. It's it's a good discovery tool still for some of that. Yeah, I it's Twitter is a fucking hell site, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. That's like there's a, there's a short list of sites that like whenever they briefly go down occasionally, I'm like yes. <laughs> I'll let you stew on that while we get to our sponsors, and we'll be back right after this break. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenUX. Before we get out of here, I do want to give one other shout-out real fast. Um, if you get a chance, run by uh, the SitePin uh, podcast, uh, TalkScript. As it turns out, by nothing more than sheer coincidence, they just, yeah. uh, the week before this episode comes out, uh, put out their episode number 54, Tools We Love. <laughs> and Yeah, th- this this is just a great minds think yeah, alike Yeah, great thing. minds think alike moment. Um, they just released their Beat first, us to the punch. So. But they've got a... A very different list from us, um, a very interesting list. Um, so we'll have a link to their show in our show notes as well. Go check that episode out and and see, you know, what they recommend that uh, we didn't in some cases. Um, in many cases, quite frankly, uh, mm-hmm. for, for that. Uh, otherwise, folks, check us out on Twitter or Facebook slash DrunkenUX or at Instagram at slash DrunkenUXpodcast. Uh, you can find us at all those places. Hit us up on Slack at DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. Leave us a rating or review wherever you're at. Are you listening to us on uh, Spotify or do you check us out on Podchase or iTunes? Um, Just hit the little star button or like button. If you're feeling squirrely, leave us a review. It does really help us out. It helps our reach. I said at the start of the show, our growth to start season three has been incredibly nice. I would love to see us keep that up. And we do that through your Mm -hmm. support. Wait, you're not going to say the thing? Damn it. I was trying to, I was trying to trick you. <laughs> I, I, I was ready to click us out and and be gone, and I thought I had you, but no. Uh, I guess I have to say the thing right before we can get out of here. Yeah. Um, so the longer I don't say it, the longer I can keep you from going to bed, keep which is kind of cool. Frog, uh, frogs close and your centipedes closer, folks. Despite any tool you want to use, even if it's different from ours, if it's something better, if you think you've used them better than us, if you think you have better recommendations, that's all well and good. You work the way that makes sense for you. You do the things that make you more productive and make you more efficient. That's all that really matters, except for one last piece of advice, which is keep your personas close and your users closer. Bye-bye. There it is. Later. Later.